Zechariah 8, 9 to 13. This is a review of the recent past, and this passage is similar to Haggai, the book of Haggai, chapters 1 and 2. 8, 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man, or any wage for animal, and for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men one against another. But now, I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. And it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Amen. The prophet Zechariah is now turning his attention to preach words similar to the prophet Haggai. As we just said, in Haggai chapters 1 and 2, there are elements of his prophecy that match here Zechariah's prophecy. Remember that these two prophets were contemporaries, and we'll see that confirmed in just a few moments. They were contemporaries who lived in the period of the return of the captives from Babylon. In the reign or after the conquest of the uh, Babylonian kingdom by the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, they destroyed Babylon. And then a few years after that, the exiles were released. They were released from Persia to return to Judea. And this now Zechariah is preaching in the land of Judea or Judah in the southern kingdom. Essentially, a review of the past is the recent past. That is, what happened because of their sins in the recent past, the destruction that they experienced, the devastation, but then also the hope of restoration. And the restoration that is mentioned in some in verse 9 in relation to the temple and then in terms of their livelihood is in verses 12 and 13, their livelihood and their future. Whatever is happening in a microcosm, whatever is happening on the small level in the land and to the people is intended to be an example of what God does with his people long term or in the future and in a spiritual way. This is the way we should understand this passage. First, we'll understand that they are experiencing a physical return. But what is the significance of the physical return? The physical return is not simply for them to have peace, progeny, and a pot belly. That's not the reason for their prosperity. Their prosperity is so that they might seek the Lord and understand spiritual and eternal things. We'll see that also. Okay, so verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And this expression, Lord of hosts, is repeated in our passage, such as in verse 9 again, 
And then in verse 11, again, this reminds the people that God is the God of armies. He has heavenly armies who are angels. He has earthly armies, whether his own people or his or the enemies of God's people, God can raise up and he will use them according to his sovereign will to accomplish his purposes on the earth. Of course, he can also use locusts. He can use nature, tornadoes, wind, earthquakes. God uses whatever he wants in creation. The locusts will remind us of Joel chapter 1 when God sent a locust plague or a few plagues of locusts to destroy the harvest of the people. So in other words, nothing is impossible for God. He will accomplish whatever he wants when he is described as the Lord of hosts. Further in verse 9, let your hands be strong, which is also repeated at the end in 13. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. Letting the hands be strong is akin to getting the military prepared for battle. It is taken from a military context, a context of warfare and preparation for war. We have this in Joshua 1.9. Joshua is called by God to lead the people to conquer the land of Canaan by military conquest. And in 1.9 of Joshua, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Judges 7, Judges 7, 11. Judges 7, 11. We'll read from verse 9. 7, 9 of Judges. Now, the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened, that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Purah, his servant, down to the outposts of the army, that was in the camp. The same we find in 2 Samuel 2, 7. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. 2 Samuel 16, 21. 2 Samuel 16, 21. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. The strong hand is a symbol of being strong and prepared to enter into warfare, into battle. This concept is carried on into the New Testament in reference to us in the Christian life, 
in a spiritual sense. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Ephesians 6, 10, warfare also. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Being strong in the Lord to be able to fight the spiritual battles that we have by putting on all of the benefits of the gospel and also the word of God and prayer, prayer in the spirit. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13, our last example from the New Testament on this, Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Even when there is a defeat, even when there is some pushback in battle, we're still supposed to strengthen our hands, do what's necessary, strengthen our feet, even if there's a lame limb, strengthen it, take care of it, and keep pressing on in the battle, in the battle of life. Next, in Zechariah 7, 9, he says, You who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets. You who are listening these days from the mouth of the prophets. Which prophets does Zechariah mean? He means Haggai and Zechariah. He says, in these days, these days you have prophets, these days you're listening, these days you are believing and repenting. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Ezra 5, verse 1. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These five books of the Bible occurred or were written and the events occurred in the Persian period. 
Also one more is the book of Esther. Esther is included there too. Ezra 5, verse 1. When the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jehozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. These are the two prophets who encouraged them to rebuild the temple. Further, it says in Ezra 6.13, Ezra 6.13-15, Then Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozanai, and their colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. That's who preached to them, and they obeyed the encouragement and the words of the prophets. These are the same prophets, keep your finger there in Ezra, the same prophets who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. From beginning to end, we just read about the end of it, Let's go back and read about the beginning of it. The beginning is in Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. Ezra 3 verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. That's Ezra 3 6. However, by Ezra 3.10, says, Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So it is restored, the foundation is laid, but we might ask, it doesn't say in this passage that it happened because of Haggai and Zechariah. However, look at 3.8. It says, Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month. Zerubbabel and Jeshua. These are the two leaders of the people who were encouraging them at the time. And so it was by their encouragement and their leadership that the altar was built and the foundation was laid. But then they delayed. They did not finish building the temple. There was an interval of about 18 years from 538 B.C. to 520 B.C. That's when Haggai and Zechariah were called to the ministry 
and start preaching, and that's how the people were successful in building it or completing it all the way. Zechariah 8.10. Zechariah 8.10. Now the lesson. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men one against another. Before those days... Before those days, the days of its rebuilding, there was devastation, there was drought, there was famine. There wasn't enough of a wage for man or animal. Even the animals could not find enough food. Probably wild, yes, wild and domestic animals, they could not find enough food. And further, Those who went in and out, the soldiers, there was no peace. There was always a constant, constant battle, constant warfare, constant ambushes and strife between the people of Judah and their enemies. No peace whatsoever. Now, let's first establish that there was no wage. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. In verses 1 to 4, God rebukes the people. Haggai 1, 1 to 4. He rebukes the people because the people say, it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the prophet Haggai says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate, verse 4? Well, what was happening, not only was the house lying desolate, not being rebuilt as it should have been, but it says in verses 5 to 11, the consequence, God's punishment or curse on them. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I call for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands." Also in Haggai 2, Haggai 2, 10 to 19, Haggai 10, uh, 2, 10 to 19. Also in this paragraph, the first part of it is an object lesson, and God teaches them about how their uncleanness spreads, and it infects 
other things. Their uncleanness infects other things. So then the lesson of this, verses 15 to 19. Their sins have done the following. 2.15 But now, do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord, from that time, when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, there would only be ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there would be only twenty. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. That was their recent past, that God had cursed the work of their hands. But before it actually happened in the recent past, God gave them plenty of forewarnings. He did so in the time of Moses, such as Leviticus 26, 14 to 33. Leviticus 26, 14 to 33. But even closer to the time of Zechariah and Haggai is Jeremiah, just about one generation before, before it actually happened. Jeremiah 7, 16 to 20, before it actually happened, when it was imminently about to happen, he says this, 7, 16, As for you, do not pray for this people, and do not lift up cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I do not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods in order to spite me. Do they spite me, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves they spite to their own shame? Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast and on the trees of the field, and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. This is the punishment of God or the curse of God. To the extent that it impacted peace, peace, peace for the country and peace for their soldiers. Second Chronicles 15. Second Chronicles 15. Second Chronicles 15.5 The going in and coming out is a description of typically the soldiers. Second Chronicles 15.5 And in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. And also all the way to seven. And nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them, 
with every kind of distress. But you, be strong and do not lose courage, for there is a reward for your work. This is an exhortation for the king, but he's describing what's happening in their recent past. Kingdom against kingdom, city against city, disturbances, many disturbances. So they could not go out and come in in peace. Let's also see in Joshua 14, 11. Joshua 14, verse 11. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. For war and for going out and coming in. For going out and coming in. Who's speaking here? This is Caleb. And Caleb was one of the two good spies who maintained his courage to go out and come in in warfare, along with Joshua. And lastly, we see in 1 Samuel 29. 1 Samuel 29, the king of the Philistines, Achish, says this to David. 1 Samuel 29. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright, and your going out and your coming in with me in the army are pleasing in my sight. For I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of my lords. So then, whether it's a famine or whether it's warfare, this is the curse of God. The curse of God. We've seen already in Second Chronicles 15, 5 to 7, where God... God says, for God troubled them. It was God who was troubling the people with many disturbances. It also says it here in Zechariah, Zechariah 8.10. I set all men one against another. I set all men one against another. For that matter, look at verse 11. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days. Verse 12, I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. Verse 13, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Even in verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, 15. So I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Who is the supreme and ultimate source of cursing and blessing? In this passage and in many scriptures, it's God Himself. He does it. He sets men against each other and He also blesses. Let's see. Isaiah 19, Isaiah chapter 19.
19 verses 1 and 2. 19, well, let's read 1 to 4. 19, 1 to 4. The oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within him. So I will incite Egyptians against Egyptians and they will each fight against his brother and each against his neighbor, city against city and kingdom against kingdom. Then the spirit of the Egyptians will be demoralized within them and I will confound their strategy so that they will resort to idols and ghosts of the dead and to mediums and spiritists. Moreover, I will deliver the Egyptians into the hand of a cruel master and a mighty king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. Further, verse 14, 19.14. The Lord has mixed within her a spirit of distortion. Who mixed it? The Lord has mixed it. They have led Egypt astray in all that it does as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. God did so and does so. Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. Amos 3 and verse 6. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Has not the Lord done it? If there is calamity or evil in the city? Amos chapter 9, verse 4. Amos 9, 4. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword that it slay them. And I will set my eyes against them for evil and not for good. God is the ultimate enemy, using the sword of the enemy to punish the people who deserve it. God does so. He also does so in the New Testament in this way. Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 2, 8 to 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That means the Lord Jesus is going to slay the lawless one. Verse 9. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Verse 11 says, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. This is the same kind of conflict and curse God brings, Old and New Testament, setting one man against another. Zechariah 8.11 changes course now. 
First, a reminder of the curse, but now, alleviation or a blessing. Verse 11, But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. Now God is not going to treat them that way. He's going to treat them to save them. Verse 12, I will cause the remnant. Verse 13, I will save you, that you may become a blessing. Verse 15, I have again purposed in these days to do good. He will also do good because he's ultimately the one in control. And he causes one person to do good to another person, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians eight sixteen. Second Corinthians eight sixteen. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. The same earnestness God put in the heart of Titus. That's why Titus was earnest or diligent to carry out the ministry. Who put it in there? God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. God caused the good to happen. And in the same way, in Zechariah 8, he's making good happen. Verse 12 says, For there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. The physical blessings are coming from God. He is the source of all of these blessings. He said this in the days of Moses. If you follow my commandments, such as they were, because they were listening to the words of the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, Therefore, God says, all right, I'll bless you. As he said in Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26, 1 to 13, I will bless you if you obey. Leviticus 26, 1, you shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land and no sword will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. And you will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. 
Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not abhor you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you should not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made, made you walk erect. That's the kind of blessing he's describing here, that he will provide physically for us. But this physical provision is also a New Testament concern that God will provide for our physical needs. It says in Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All your needs. We're not talking about Luxuries, we're not talking about wants and wishes and dreams and imaginations, fantasies. That's not what we're describing. We're talking about needs. This is what our Lord also mentioned in Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Matthew 6, 19 to 34, where he taught how God, he is the one who beautifies the lilies of the field, causes the grass of the field to grow. He's the one that feeds the birds. How much more will he take care of us? O men of little faith. He will take care of us. But what is the proper sequence? Like in Zechariah, so also in the New Testament. What's the proper sequence? Well, if we're loving the Lord, fearing the Lord, we're believing in his word, believing in the gospel, Then Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will make sure to add the rest, the rest of our needs. Not luxuries, but our needs. That's what he'll do. In the days of Zechariah, at that point in our chapter, chapter 8, they were obeying, they were believing the gospel, and that's why God is promising that he's going to bless them. And the same for us. First, seek his kingdom, and God will take care of everything else. He also says in Zechariah 8.12, And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. The remnant will inherit all these things. It is first the physical blessing that they will inherit, but it does not end there. Let's first see that it is indeed physical initially, but the physical is meant to be a symbol of something greater. Joshua 21 Joshua 21:43 to 45. Joshua 21:43. When the people inherited the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, this is what it says. The land of Canaan. And what was the land of Canaan? A fruitful land, an abundant land, right? Joshua 21:43. 
So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Verse 43 says, They possessed it, or they inherited it, the land of Canaan. And all of God's promises came to fruition. Correct? Okay, well, let's pick up this terminology in the Psalms. We'll see it in Psalm 37. Psalm 37. 37, verse 9. 37, 9. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. 22, 37, 22. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. And also 37, 29, verse 29. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. There we have a hint as to what he's talking about. Dwell in it forever. If we start in verse 27, 37, 27, it says, Depart from me and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. What's the point? The land of Canaan signified the heavenly land, the eternal land. The heavenly land was signified. And David, in the Psalms, he knows that. That's why he's talking this way. We find a confirmation of this in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Moreover, Hebrews chapter 4, it will actually compare the land of Canaan to heaven. Hebrews chapter 4. It 
It says in Hebrews 4, we pick it up at verse 6. 4, 6. We'll read 6 to 9. Hebrews 4, 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The argument he's making here is Joshua gave them the land of Canaan, physical rest. We read about that in Joshua 21, 43 to 45. He did, in fact, give them that. But there was more to it than just that. And that's what David is talking about. Because David, hundreds of years after Joshua, perhaps about 300 or 400 years after Joshua, David says in Psalm 95, to 95, 7 and 8, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. They shall not enter my rest. In my wrath, I said, they shall not enter my rest. So what rest is David promising? They already have the land of Canaan. What is David promising? He's promising heavenly rest. That's what he's arguing here. The apostle is arguing for heavenly rest here. Canaanite rest was a symbol or a type of heavenly rest. And that is the same with Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah is not merely preaching, exclusively preaching peace, progeny, and a pot belly. He is preaching heavenly peace, eternal peace. That's always the case. Through symbols, through types, through shadows, teaching the heavenly blessing. And we pick it up in verse 13, 813. Zechariah 813 and it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. They were a curse. Now they will be a blessing. In what sense, how will they be a blessing? They are a curse in that God is mocked. People, the nations are bewildered. They're wondering, what happened? What's going on? But then they're also going to be a blessing if they practice righteousness. Okay, the curse. For the curse, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9, 1 to 9. 1 Kings 9, 1 to 9. In the first part, verses 1 to 5, he promises them a blessing if they follow his covenant, if they obey his will. But then in 6 to 9, the curse. 1 Kings 9, 6. But if you or your sons shall indeed turn away from following me and shall keep 
then shall not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. In this case, because they don't follow the Lord, they don't believe his word, follow the gospel, believe the gospel, God curses them, and the nations are astonished and hiss. They are astonished and hiss, and the disobedience of the people is tied to the destruction of God's house and God's name, God's reputation. It's mocked because of the disobedience of the people. However, Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The opposite is described here. 4, 1 and 2. If you will return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. And if you will put away your detested things from my presence and will not waver, and you will swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, <coughs> then the nations will bless themselves in him, and in him they will glory. The nations will bless themselves in him, in the Lord. And in him they will glory. They will boast in the Lord. They will glory in the Lord. This phraseology of Jeremiah 4.2 is taken from Genesis 12.3 and 22.17 and 18. Genesis 12.3 and 22.17 and 18, where it says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in 22.17-18, And in your seed all the nations shall be blessed. In your seed. Well, who's the seed? In Jeremiah 4.2, it's the Lord. In Him. Bless themselves in Him, in the Lord. The Lord Jesus. Yes, in the Lord Jesus. The blessing and the curse. The curse, even in the New Testament, does God take away or does God get shamed when we live shamefully? Yes. Romans 2, Romans 2, 24. Romans 2, 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And he quotes Isaiah 52, 5. 
just as in the Old Testament, so also in the New Testament, when our disobedience is seen by the world, the world blasphemes the name of God. They blaspheme God because of us. And then there's a curse on us. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, Romans 1.18, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We are living shamefully in sin. God is blasphemed. Then God's wrath is on us. New Testament, Romans 1.18 and 2.24. However, the opposite is also the case. The opposite is also the case when we are obeying the Lord. Matthew 5, 13. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are salt and we are light. And when we are practicing being salt and light, we glorify our Father who is in heaven. And John thirteen thirty five. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then back to Zechariah. Zechariah not only explained that the people would be a blessing, he explains it in the same way in Zechariah 8, and we start at verse 20. Zechariah 8, 20. What we just read is explained also here in Zechariah 8, 20 to 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every language will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is a foretaste, or Zechariah 8 is a prediction and a foretaste of what is now being experienced between the first and second comings of Christ. Because God has his remnant, he blesses his remnant. First he chooses them, he graces them with the spirit of grace, then they produce the fruit of the spirit and behave like salt and light. And that's how when the gospel is preached by them, converts are made. This is the blessing the remnant of the people of God become. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.